Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would indeed make us a forgiving people because we have realized how great your forgiveness for us is. And Lord, I ask that you would help me now as I preach, that I would be clear and faithful to your word and helpful to your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things I really appreciate about being in a liturgical church is we have a script every Sunday. We've got prayers that are tested by the centuries. It's especially interesting when we're off-site, like on a retreat or something. You don't necessarily have a screen or a prayer book. People that have worshipped in this way know how to worship. It's in their hearts. They pray from the, from the heart. The danger, however, in liturgy is thoughtless repetition. Because we know it so well, we can just fall right into saying out of habit. And we might be praying something in the Lord's Prayer that we actually don't mean. And it's kind of a dangerous thing to pray. Now today I'm looking at the phrase, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In effect, what we're saying is, God, treat me in the manner in which I treat others. And if we don't think about what we're praying for a second, I might not be treating someone very well right now, and therefore I'm asking God to give the same treatment to me. So it's good to pause and think before we pray the Lord's Prayer sometimes, how am I in the topic of forgiveness? I imagine just sheer statistics, the number of people in this room, there are some of us that are dealing with major unforgiveness right now on either side of the equation. We've sinned against someone and they won't forgive us, or someone has sinned against us and we're struggling to forgive them. This topic is one that goes straight to the heart. And Jesus, I love when Jesus' teachings are extra clear. In Matthew, when he gives the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the teaching on prayer, he gives the Lord's Prayer, and then in Matthew 6, verse 14, he adds something. We don't pray this because the prayer ends before it, but we, then he adds, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is a very clear and very direct teaching, and it should get our attention for sure, because Christianity is all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness. Our reconciliation to God in Christ and then with the community of believers, it's all about forgiveness. So I want to ask the question this morning, are you a forgiving person? And my sermon's going to just look at two main things. The first thing is, what is forgiveness? And then the second thing is, how can I practice it? Or maybe better asked, where do I get the resources to forgive? So let's look at those things. What is forgiveness? I think right away we struggle with that phrase, forgive and forget. It's actually a helpful phrase if we understand the, what, what it's intending. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't forget. Very rarely. Unless it's a minor offense. If it's something big, you remember it. It's not going away. So to say forgive and forget um, is confusing because we don't forget. And God certainly never forgets because he's omniscient. He knows all things. So if we say forgive and forget is what forgiveness is about, what we're really meaning is I'm choosing not to think about the thing. Whatever the offense was, I'm going to choose not to think about it. When I look at the person, I'm not going to immediately recall the offense, which is frankly in Christ how God treats us. He looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ instead of all the sins, right? If you're a Christian, that exchange has happened and you're forgiven. And so 
It's choosing not to think about it. What happens in a relationship is the relationship will get frozen in that moment because every time you see that person, you're just rehearsing the offense and your, your friendship can't move forward. It's all about the, the relationship being reconciled. You can't make new memories and new experiences because you're, like, you're caught in that moment. I'm just stuck on this thing until forgiveness happens. In fact, it's one of the ways to know in your heart if you're able to forgive somebody. When you see that person or hear their name, is the offense the first thing that comes to mind? If it still is, there's work to be done in forgiveness for you. But when you realize, oh, we've been hanging out now for half an hour, and I totally forgot about that thing that happened last month or last year, you realize, I have forgiven them, and we're moving forward. The relationship is no longer frozen. It's like the the iceberg's been broken free, and now we're moving into new conversations, new experiences in a future together. The relationship is moving forward. It's not in a stalemate anymore. Forgiveness has happened. And primarily, the goal here is reconciliation, not just how I feel. There, there is a kind of therapeutic forgiveness that's taught, right? We, we've heard the saying that unforgiveness is the poison I drink hoping you die. Because if I fail to forgive you, I have a bitterness in my heart that's actually hurting me. And therefore, the therapeutic thing comes in where I've got to forgive that person for my own soul to be well and whole. It's more about therapy to me than it is about the reconciliation of the relationship. And so, while that is true, there is a therapeutic component to it, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is that the relationship would be reconciled, that, the, that it would be restored and it can move forward. And so Peter goes to Jesus and says, how many times must I forgive my brother? Right? It's, it's the family connection there. It's a relational thing. Not just some random stranger, but my brother. Now, you need some kind of a definition for forgiveness, and there are lots of things you can find out there. The one that I've found most helpful is forgiveness is giving up the right to get even. That's probably worth writing down if you can't remember that. Forgiveness is giving up the right to get even. We've got an idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, that retaliatory um, law, but you're just in an arms race if you keep going back and forth. Somebody has to stop it by eating the cost. There is a debt incurred, and somebody has to deal with it. Somebody's got to pay it. And so if I'm going to forgive you, I've got to give up my right to get even with you. I'm going to have to eat that cost. And that's hard to do. There's an actual debt incurred. Now, as I mentioned the word debt, I, I want to point out that in, when we as Anglicans, along with Catholics and Methodists and Lutherans, I think, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we use the word trespasses. And many other people use the word, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, In Luke's gospel, it's the word sins Jesus uses there. Um, It's interesting in our new prayer book, the 2019 prayer book, we have an option. There's the traditional Lord's Prayer, the way we've, we've all prayed it for a long, long time. And then there's the more modern one that takes out the these and the thous. But one big switch is it switches the word trespasses with the word sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's, it's actually probably a better uh, translation because in Matthew 6, the word is clearly the word that should be translated debts. It occurs twice in the Greek, once here in Matthew 6 and also in Romans 4. And in Romans 4, it's making the point that Abraham was credited with righteousness. It was not some work that he earned. 
It's in that phrase, the Greek is using that phrase to say that there is a debt that an employer owes to the employee once he has worked, he's now owed something. So it's, a, it's that same Greek word. So the better translation would be, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But then right after that, when, in that passage I read from verse 14, Jesus says, uh, if you forgive others their trespasses, it's a different Greek word. So we've got debts in the, in the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus summarizing with the word trespasses, and then Luke's version has the word sins. So we've kind of got all three going on. And I, I think it's a little bit helpful to think about the distinctions. A trespass is maybe violating a rule or a standard or a boundary, overstepping something, um, whereas a debt is something that is owed, that must be paid back. J.I. Packer, in his little book on the Lord's Prayer, defines the word sin this way. Actually, he says, Scripture presents sins in a number of pictures. One is law-breaking, another is deviation, another is shortcoming, another is rebellion, another is pollution, as in dirt, getting dirty, another one is missing one's target. And he says, but it's always all these things in relation to God. And the special angle from which the Lord's Prayer views it is that of unpaid debts. We owe a great debt to God that we cannot pay. And when Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer, that is the facet, if you will, of sin that he's focused on, the debtor and owing a debt. In fact, all these things are pointed to God. So in Psalm 51, David prays, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Well, you did commit adultery and murder with Bathsheba and her husband, so, you know, but he sees it primarily as a sin against God, even though it's a sin against fellow man. So we've got all this going on, and frankly, we do all three. We have debts that are, we can't pay, we transgress and trespass over boundaries that we shouldn't, and we are sinful, and, and it, it plays out all the different ways. But when we, when we hear Jesus say, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you, now, right away, the, the, the theological mind goes, but wait a minute. I thought we were justified for eternity in Christ when we repent of our sins and come to him, which is true. We are, right? Christ died for my sins, present, past sins, present, and even future sins. He made atonement for my sins on the cross. And if I repent of my sins and come to him, I am justified. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. We are justified by faith in Jesus. And justified means we are declared not guilty by the judge and we are credited with righteousness. So Jesus' Jesus's righteousness is what God sees when he looks at the Christian, not the sinner. He chooses not to remember the sin. Forgive and forget. And you go, well, wait a minute. If I don't forgive my brother or sister in does that mean I'm now at risk of losing my salvation? Now, the problem there is that we're viewing God in the, in, in the facet of God as judge, and he is our judge. But the prayer where this is taught is coming to God as father. And there's a difference there. In father, it's a family relationship. Remember, I said unforgiveness freezes a relationship. It hinders it from moving forward. And so we're being taught how to have a relationship with our heavenly father, and so as judge, he has judged that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. In the next verse, 3.24 says, and they are justified by his grace as a gift, those that are in Christ. Now, as a, as a father myself, I know that if my daughter 
does something sinful against me, it hinders our relationship. But I don't disown her as a member of the family. It's not like you're no longer part of my family. I'm still in the family. She's still in the family, but we now have a hindered relationship. And the same thing with her sister. If our daughters are in a conflict with each other, I'm also having a problem with that. Our relationship is hindered because of conflict in my household. So you see, we're, we're praying, God, treat me the way I treat others. And I'm going to forgive others because I need your forgiveness, because I want the relationship to move forward. Knowing that I have sin against God, whether it's in an unforgiveness with somebody else or directly to him, should cause my conscience a lot of displeasure. If I'm a Christian, it should. In fact, the old prayer book, the the English 1662 one and the 1928 one that we used for a number of years in the early service has a confession that is actually helpful to go back and read. Because what it says is it talks about our sins and it says the remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. The conscience should feel the burden of being at odds with our Heavenly Father. The relationship is being hindered. When I'm walking in unrepentant sin, I have a real hard time praying, I'll tell you that. And when I'm walking in unforgiveness with somebody else in a conflict, it's like I can't pray anymore. I'm, I'm hiding in the garden again where Adam and Eve were, and I'm very much aware that I'm naked and I don't want to talk to God right now, right? That's, I mean, the relationship gets muddy, and, and I, can't do, I, just can't, I can't live that way. My conscience drives me, so I have to go back to him. So I confess every Sunday, and day by day, moment by moment, because to, to not have that clear conscience and that, that open relationship with God is such a burden. It really is intolerable. And so God is quicker to forgive than I am to repent, thankfully. So as soon as I turn back to him, he forgives. But I've also got work to do with my fellow brothers and sisters. I've got to go and, and reconcile with them, right? If you, the scripture says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you realize that someone has a sin against, an offense with you, go and reconcile, and then come and offer your worship. Like, we've got to deal with this. It's super important. So how do we do it? Okay, where do we get the resources to do this? Because if there's always a debt, and somebody's got to eat that debt, how can I do this? How can I forgive somebody else? Well, this is where the parable that we had read as our gospel reading comes in, right? If, If the Lord's Prayer is teaching us about debts, the, the parable of the unforgiving <clears throat> servant is really helpful. You know, and the parable is quite simple. It's super clear. This one, there's no, like, really debating what the deep meaning of this parable is. Somebody owes something they cannot pay, and they beg for forgiveness, and in mercy and kindness, the owner says, you're forgiven, and lets them go free. And then on the very way home, they see somebody that owes them a pittance in comparison And they throw the law at them until they get it all paid. And when the rich master hears of this, he's obviously upset about it. And so he comes and throws that person in prison until they pay the whole debt. And by the way, the scale of these debts is ridiculous. The ESV study Bible in the footnote puts it into modern monetary terms because talent, what is a talent, like 10,000 talents. It's $6 billion compared to 30,000. I said in the 745 service, not many of us in here will ever touch $6 billion, and Rusty Creighton, who's a financial guy, laughed out loud. (laughs) Not many of us? He's like, that is so big, none of us will touch $6 billion. 
And that's the point of the parable. It's so big what God has forgiven that to go and expect a little bit, 30,000 from somebody else, is ridiculous. It's just, it's, it's unheard of. What God wants is for us to be so filled with gratitude that it overflows in worship and forgiveness and kindness. My sin against God is so big that it costs the Son of God's death on the cross. And I don't even know how much that hurt. I mean, I can imagine physically, I have no idea what it means for him to take on sin onto his soul and experience the, the separation of sin as a member of the eternal trinity. It's so big, I can't even fathom it. There is nothing you could do to me or my family that would compare, or anyone else could do anything to you that would compare to how big our sin is against God. And if we don't realize that, we haven't looked enough at the cross. We haven't looked at what God has done for us. It's so huge. And what God wants us to do is then live it forward in joyful worship and kindness to others and forgiveness. This week, the Alpha video on Tuesday told the story of an exchange that took place in a concentration camp in Auschwitz in World War II. And, it, and if you Google the name Maximilian Kolbe, K-O-L-B-E, the Wikipedia page or whatever will come up, and it will tell the story. He was a Polish Roman Catholic priest, and he was in this prison, and there was another man whose name I have, it's, it's Franciszek, Franciszek. Gajanazek, I can't get his last name right, but this man was a prisoner who was captured, and he was in there as well, and somebody tried to escape, or maybe did escape, and to punish that particular camp, the guard said, by random lot, we're going to pick 10 of you, and you're going into the starvation chamber until you die, and they picked the names out, and this man, Francis, was chosen, and he wept and cried out and said, my wife and my sons will never see me again. And this Roman Catholic priest heard it, and he said, I'm a Catholic priest. I'm not married. I don't have a wife and kids. Can I take his place? I'll go into the starvation chamber for him. And they accepted the deal. The German guards accepted the deal. He went in there, and he shared the gospel with everybody in that starvation chamber and changed the entire feel of that room. And uh, everyone starved in there except him, actually, and he was finally uh, given a lethal injection. He lasted so long in there that they had to put him to death by a different method. And the thing about this is, Francis was so moved. He, he ended up living till it'd be 93. He spent the rest of his life telling people about Maximilian. Like, the testimony, just going around and constantly was telling people about it. It's why we know the story, because he made such a big deal of it, not just once or twice. Everybody he met, everywhere he went, he was telling about this great sacrifice that was given for him. God expects us to do the same. He has given us so much in Christ. He expect, expects us to go forward, forgiving others, being grateful, and telling people how great the forgiveness is that God has for us and what he has done for us, how huge the debt was that he paid that we could never repay. This is the gospel. This is good news. So how can I forgive others? Well, by living in joy, joyful forgiveness of God, by worshiping him for your justification, that you've been declared righteous because of Christ's righteousness. You've been given a gift you don't deserve, you couldn't earn, and it's all by grace. And let your conscience burden you moment by moment, day by day. When you do sin, listen to it. Soften your conscience. Pay attention to it. Don't let anything get between you and your relationship with God, even a conflict with another person. 
Keep bringing that person to God. Keep begging God for the resources and the willingness to give up the debt, to give up the right to get even. If you're focused on God's incredible grace and mercy and forgiveness for you, you will have the resources to be able to forgive the other person, even if it's something horrible. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. At the, um, at the end of chapter 6 in Matthew's gospel, at the beginning of verse 7, he says, Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So God is telling us, pay attention to how you treat others, because I'm going to use that same measurement for you. And we have such incredible resources in him. So let's just focus on the cross and beg him for the strength to be able to give other people the forgiveness that they need, and to be quick to ask for it when we've offended. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is a tough teaching because we are sinners and we mess up all the time. But Lord, it's full of joy because of the incredible debt that you paid, the $6 billion we will never be able to earn. And so I thank you for that great gift. Help each one of us to understand it and to walk in the joy of it and to be forgiving people as a result. I pray this in the name.